Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for you. the company of one another. You're always good to us and drawing other Christians into our lives, even ones we only know for a week. We'd ask that you would bless us in every encounter. In your son's name, amen. I was, had been talking to somebody about Jonah in some conversation. And so I sat down this morning to do sermon prep. I was looking at Jonah, the last two chapters, three and four. I said, I better look at the beginning. And they had the great section. And I said, well, we better look at when I preached on it last. My gosh, I haven't preached out of early Jonah 15 years. And so I was looking at the first chapter of Jonah, and I got down to where <clears throat> it says... Um, First chapter, verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Rise, call upon your God. Well, interesting in its own right, but did, did something else spring to mind? When, when it, remember that Jesus was doing the exact same thing in a storm, in a ship, sleeping on the cushions, and the disciples did not like it. So I said, I'm going to go look at that passage. So we're not in Jonah at all. We're in the situation where that happens in Mark. Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> and in terms of the context, when it said right at the beginning of the section, if you look at the right-hand side down in verse 35, it says, on that day, when evening had come. So this event of the, the storm at sea and Jesus asleep in the boat, lands on them at the end of a pretty important day. If you go all the way back to Mark chapter 4, verse 1, I have a few of the verses here on the left-hand side. And it's the circumstance where he does the teaching of the sower, the parable of the sower. And then he teaches them about parables. It says in Mark 4, verse 1, again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, I, I want you to know that people don't always see the scriptures the same way. And I may have related this story to you at one point off this verse. But I was in Chattanooga speaking at a conference out with some friends. One was a philosophy professor from, rhetoric professor from Liberty University, and one was a reformed Episcopal vicar. So we were not alike. But we enjoyed each other, and we're sitting in this bar in Chattanooga. I think it was called the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Just saying, that was the name of the place. So we were sitting there, it was one of those cigar joints. We were smoking cigars, and having some drinks, and I don't know how it came up, but this verse came up, I just read to you. And one of them said, well, this is where God is trying to show flux and stasis. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus was in the boat, flux, and the people were on the land, stasis. You're out of your mind. So just be thankful that this is not that kind of church. We don't make stuff up like that. 
He was in a boat. They were on the ground because he wanted to be able to speak to them. And he taught them many things in parables, dot, 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 ellipsis, verse 9. And he teaches them the parable of the sower at that point, but we've gone through that too recently, and you can read it on your own. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parable. So we have a bigger than the twelve company of disciples pursuing Jesus Christ, the inside group, deeper walk club, hanging out with Jesus and want to know about these parables. And he said to them, to you has, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may see, indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. To keep them, said Jesus, from getting forgiven. And you say to yourself, I don't understand this Christianity one bit, it seems. Jesus Christ, teaching in a way that he's teaching, to keep certain people from getting forgiven. Because if they understood what he was saying, they just might want to be. He says. So they couldn't see, they could hear the words of the story, but not actually perceive. They would hear, but not understand what was going on. And we, as evangelicals, sometimes think that the key to... Christianity is get everybody saved. And if, you know, you, you go to every country in the world, you learn their language and you preach every man jack of them, and if they don't believe, you then come up with the arguments that will convince them to believe, and if they don't believe that, you want to start working miracles so they'll believe anything to get them to believe. And Jesus has a different ideology about this. He says, no, this is for people who have ears to hear. Let them hear. Now, I'm a, I believe in freedom of the will. You know that. I'm not a Calvinist. Some dear Christian friends who are. But sometimes people think that the grace of God, since God wants to save all men, all men somehow will get saved or should get saved. The problem, the difference I have with the Calvinist is not that they both don't end up with the same limitation of the elect. I know who limited it. Man does not want to hear what God has to say. So they don't have ears. And he quotes out of Isaiah 6 when he sent Isaiah to the people and said, here I am, here I am send me. He says, hear, hear, do not understand. See, see, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Because he put, Isaiah was told to put a barrier, to talk in such a way that a barrier is erected. Jesus Christ, in parables, quotes that Isaiah 6 passage, and says, these parables are the barrier. They're not, as my footnotes say in my Bible, to make difficult concepts clear to the average guy. They're supposed to make difficult concepts really difficult. So that you will have to climb over something to get at Jesus. 
Jesus wants your worship. He doesn't want to, he's not a doting parent who goes to all your volleyball games. It is thrilled with everything you bring home from the fair that had a ribbon on it and wants to put all of your art on the fridge. Because you can't draw. You really can't. You're awful. You shouldn't be playing volleyball. Lord knows I didn't go to your games. I mean, you were that good. I might have gone to your games. We've got something wrong with us. We want this freedom of grace. God's loving provision of grace to strip him of the fact that he's God. He's being gracious to us so that we would see the grace in a God that we don't understand. We're trying to get close to. We know that getting close to him, being reconciled to him is important. And then he starts throwing these Zen-like teachings at us in the parables. Now, that's where we are. Verse 13. He says there on the left-hand side, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Speaking of the sower. How then will you understand all the parables? You've been handed some homework. So he explains the parable of the sower to them. Interestingly enough, it is a parable about parables. So it would behoove you to go back and read the rest of the chapter that I could not fit on the sheet. We get to the end of that in Mark 4.21. There are three more parables, short ones. And I want to loft these into your presence. I want you to be thinking one of the things that if you ever talk to atheists or, or agnostics or people who believe something else, they, it's actually, they actually think they get to believe something else. They get to be in a different world having believed something else. Oh, I don't believe in God. I don't care. doesn't matter. God's not going, oh, really? I guess around you there won't be one. No, he's, he's, he doesn't change a thing. God is God. People who don't believe in him, things happen to them that are like what would happen to someone who didn't believe in a God in a world where there was a God. And the people on the negative side of this, the people who do not have ears to hear, you have to ask yourself, I don't get to say, just because I'm not pursuing the things of God, and I'm not climbing over these hurdles to my understanding, I'm not in pursuit, that's just, I, I just want it to be that way. I mean, I just not one of these committed Christians. Well, guess what? That means you get to be the person who gets the, the negative play out of this. How is that working out? Because, as my father and I, when I get together with him weekly and get him ready for the day and we talk about the ministry, he's got a, an active ministry, and, and uh, um, we think of it as job security because people mess up their lives, thinking they can live in a different world where they make the rules up. They do make the rules up for them to live by, but they think they're in a world where they do get to make the rules up. Rules up. I mean, if you were thinking of it this way, um, the law of gravity, which nobody knows what it is, but there it is at 32 feet per second squared, you don't get to say, I think it's going to be 33 feet per second squared in your special world, because gravity will take issue with you. 
And whatever that means that you'd hit the bottom long before you thought you would, whatever it means, you don't get to make the rules for your world. So you have to ready yourself to say, if I don't pick up what the, the gospel writer of Mark is telling me, if I don't pick up what our Lord is communicating, I get the other side. I am volunteering for the negative. Keep that in mind. Verse 21, right-hand side, top of the page. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? Some of you, for some of you who were raised in Sunday school, a little song going through your head about the light under a bushel or something like that. I forget what it was. Southern Baptist version, whatever. And... But this, this passage is not actually about that, you know, being a light for men, being a light for the world. That's a good point. A lamp is brought in and not put under a bushel or under the bed. And then he says something cryptic. For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor, not any, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Quotes what he referred to the parables in general. He quotes that here. He says, the reason you come into a room and set the light on a stand is so you can see the things in the room, not the things inside the pot, not the things under the bed. You want to see the things in the room. They probably thought more of this because they have the little oil lamps you always see in the flannel graphs. Remember, you have little oil lamps. And a little, little single flame sticking out the top in a pitch black world because there was no ambient lighting. There was no city lighting. Lights went out, sun went down, lights went out, boom, it was pitch black. Except for the heavens. So you're inside a mud brick house. The lights are out and it's dark. It's dark. And so you really do absolutely any bit of so you know what it's like. How do you speak to moderns about this? You know what it's like. You get your phone out and you click the screen on so you can see things. Find out where to put the key in the car. We know the value of light. And what he is telling you here stuff that is hidden in life the secret things, the hidden things are designed to be found. In other words, the world, with all of its secrets, are designed to be found. There's a road map. This is why science works. There's a road map to things. There's a pattern. It's not just, oh, I'm keeping a secret in some sort of impossible-to-reach place. Things hidden... They're to be manifest. Things secret are supposed to come to light. That's how you know that it's not the thing you are trying to light is the secret and hidden thing. Now, it says in Proverbs any number of times, if you get anything, get insight. Figure stuff out. Um... 
What stopped you? Or what stops you from going after all these hidden things? Some sort of notion that ignorance is bliss. You know, uh, men, women sometimes feel insecure about looking at things. I don't know. My father says, never argue theology with a woman. She's not arguing her own, she's arguing her husband's. And you're destroying her romance. You're not destroying her viewpoint. If you convince her that she's wrong, you just convinced her her husband's wrong. That's not a good idea. So women have one, it's not true for everybody. Not true for everybody, but generally speaking, guys on the other hand kind of think there's kind of a kind of a studliness to not knowing stuff. You know? I don't know about that. You know, anything complex. You know, they could you know, dismantle your engine, put it back together and have it run. Because that's a dude thing to do. You know, see? But otherwise, it's kind of sissy boy stuff to be thinking about the well, make up an issue, the penal substitutionary atonement. You know, you say, oh, I don't even know what that means. But guys like to, you know, have ignorance as kind of one of their strong points. What's your... You, know, you're, you might be simply a person who has been bought off. Um... Have you noticed how comfortable this is? I mean, sorry about your broken leg, man, but the rest of us are fine. Um, and we're comfortable. People sitting in the back, half asleep on the cushioned pews. North Idaho, where it's July, and it was like 60-something last night, 50-something. You all go get in your cars, drive 300 miles and be home in Boise, if that's where you're from within hours. <coughs> a 12-hour bus trip, gold darn it, which took seven months for somebody a hundred years ago. We've been bought off. We've been bought off with a lot of simple answers. You know what it would be like if the end came and there was no more Safeway or Winco and you were eating tortillas morning, noon, and night if you could find the flour and a stone to cook it on. You don't want that. You'd like this. I like going to Safeway and finding the meat I want shrunk wrap on styrofoam. That's amazing. I want it that way. But that can buy you off. Gratifying, instant answers. I remember teaching in the School of Practical Christianity years ago, and one of the young men came out of one of the classes complaining that I had said something different than Doug Busby had said. Couldn't we get our act together and get our say the same thing? And we believe different things. So well, you shouldn't. I said, well, maybe you'll look it up. Maybe you'll figure out what you think. Maybe you'll invest yourself. We like going to churches where there's a statement of faith that tells you what you're supposed to believe, a list of things you shouldn't do, you notice you didn't get one here. That's intentional. It's not because we're flaky or we don't know what we think. We want you to know what you think. Not to be gratified easily. Not to have just enough taken care of that you could write off the rest of the pursuit of God, understanding your universe, 
because things are taken care of. You're under a custodian. Galatian talks about the law of the Jews as a, a custodian for your souls. And we've actually fabricated that newly in our lives. Now I want you to know when he says, take heed, verse 24, to what you hear, the measure you give will be the measure you get. And still more will be given to you. For to him who has will more be given. And from him who has not even what he has will be taken away. I just want you to know that you, just like you can't excuse yourself by saying, I'm an atheist, there isn't a God in my world. You can't say, I'm not searching, so I'm not involved with this text. No, you're the other end of this text. To him who has not, what he has will be taken away. God doesn't just avoid you. He makes it worse. Because you pick stupid. He said, okay, let's pull the thread on that stupid, see how stupid it can get. When people in Romans 1 did not honor God as God or give him thanks, he gave them up to the futility of their minds. When you choose not to pursue God, you are choosing, and I'll see you in five years. I've known people who've ended up and this is not because they went to a different church. There's a lot of good churches out there. They moved away years ago, and you didn't see them for a long time, and they went to Wook, Iowa, and found a church in Wook, Iowa, and Wook, Iowa's church is not a great selection. Wook, Iowa does not exist, okay? Whether well, it's a standard place like Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. If you go to church in Wook, Iowa, and you find that it is not a church that pursues, and the saints do not pursue. Ten years later, you visit Moscow again. And if you haven't pursued God, the saints are looking at you, what happened to you? It's not merely you just stopped where you were. You didn't go after God. You got uglier. It grows. Both of them. It's an investment that there is tragically a return on. When you do that which you are supposed to, seek God, take heed to what you hear, because the measure you give will be the measure you get. You didn't give anything, you don't get anything. As a matter of fact, if I gave something and I got something, God says, then I'm going to throw a tip in on that. You will, still more will be given to you. Always when I was teaching in high school, teaching high school years ago, by uh, students um, who I loved dearly. I didn't, I didn't care a bit. I enjoyed flunking them, enjoyed giving them tests. And I told them at the beginning, I said, you will learn exactly what you deserve to learn. That's I, my job here. They're paying me to tell you stuff. And what you come away with is exactly not what I deserve you to learn, but what you deserve you to learn. That's how Jesus operates. I just wanted to be like Christ. Where you don't take the learner off the hook. You say, this is how you respond when you have an avenue to the living God and you're not taking it. And you know that everything in your world has probably got 50 different angles of explanation on it, all of them true and all of them beneficial. And you haven't even stopped to think about one of them. 
it starts to get taken away from you. Now, I like the fact that it says, ears to hear, take heed to what you hear. Listen to what you're hearing. Because it's like the, the sounds, oh, I, I'm getting on in years. Uh, what am I now? 61. Well, I sit out on my front porch because I have a front porch. And it's a gathering place for a lot of people in the evening. And when the weather is a little cool, we have a propane heater. And we were sitting out there with the propane heater on a week or so ago. And every young person who walked up goes, What is that noise? No, what is they were writhing on the ground. Some kind of whistling, you know, only dogs and young people could hear it. Kind of sound coming off the jets of that propane heater. You just turned it down a little bit, it went away. I didn't hear a thing. 61. There are benefits to being that kind of deaf. But the world is full of that kind of sound. I can remember getting up, and it's been a few years, I admit it. Some noise was going on in the bedroom, and I was looking around, getting up to stagger around a dark room, tracking it down. What was it? It was my watch laying face down on the dresser across the room, ticking into the wood. And I was hearing it. The world is filled with sound. Signal is coming at you. Take heed to what you hear. Everything in the world makes sense. The most random, chaotic thing, it makes sense in some perspective. Do you understand what it meant? Are you picking up what you're going to bother with, what you're not going to bother with? Because when God makes you ignorant, how great is the ignorance? When God says, you're not listening. Are you okay with, are you okay with that? Because, you know, you, it's not just Moscow. Moscow's a university town, and kind of so where churches are kind of thinky places. And uh, people like that, because they're college people, and we come over to the house and talk about ideas and the like. So we understand that, but, but even here, even when the person inside this subculture of rationally oriented conversation, being dumb, in some situations, you, you know how there's always the guy in the non-Christian group who sounds like he's really philosophical. And then you put him one night in with a bunch of philosophically oriented believers and he looks like a retard. Because he is. You know, he's, he's, he didn't ask the most basic questions. He didn't Oh, I had that atheist uh, law student who was over. Some of you were over at the house the same night. And, and he was asking all these challenging questions of Christianity. And, and he just sort of, you know, he was like, okay, all right. Laid it out for him. Pointed out how he, you know, showed nothing. He didn't offer a single argument for what he was stating. He was, I said, I, you know, as soon as you have the argument ready, let, let us know. So you got to produce something. You can't just deny something. Denial is not thinking. Doubting is not thinking. 
And he was very bright. You could tell that in probably every conversation he was with with his secular friends, he was gifted in rhetoric and he was gifted in, in, in stating things that were kind of really cool, but it was all uninformed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And you're going, I... That was short. I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at in the passage. The kingdom of God is like what? Okay, it's like farmers. We all do the agricultural sower thing. You know, I, I'm confused. Think harder. Ask somebody. These people stepped aside to Jesus Christ and said, what, what, what was that about? Do you read the scriptures in your time and go, I don't understand what that was about. When will I see someone next that I could ask, what was that about? Oh, there's Wine, Wisdom, and Song on Friday night. I could write that on the board. What in heaven's name does it mean? What does it mean? It's telling you that the kingdom of God is, and I'm not, I'm pro-Monsanto. I love things that have been genetically engineered. I like artificially large apples. I like strangely yellow bananas. I like, uh, I like everything chemically enhanced. Corporate America, if corporate America is not involved, it's not food. If you want dirt cookies, you can go to the co-op. So this is not an argument against that kind of involvement. The illustration is good. Because we sometimes view the kingdom of God. No, we are all pros. We went to seminary. We know how to build evangelistic systems. He's going, you don't know what's going on. You're throwing the seed down. You don't know what's happening. You're just there for the harvest. The earth gives forth the fruit. The earth produces of itself. With the kingdom of God, it's not us convincing the world to believe. We want to be ready. We want to be sowing the seed. We want to be ready to harvest. This is a, a test of what people want. Do they pursue God? The kingdom of God will grow, but it will grow according to its natural design of the soil it's in. He just got finished telling them the different kinds of soil. The broadcaster is out there throwing the seed on the good soil, the bad soil, the thorny soil, the rocky soil, the, what is it, the path, on the, some on the path. He doesn't then go out there and dial in, doesn't dial in every aspect of its production. I saw a video on the interwebs this sort of urban garden you could buy this it, it is it is like a 3d printer but it 3d prints your garden for you have you seen that video because your plot of maybe as long as the 
pew, maybe six feet wide, has an armature above it, and this, this XY axis goes around, plants the seeds. You can dial in all your little apps. I want pumpkins here, and I want this, that there. And it will put the seed in exactly where it's supposed to go, water it exactly how much it's supposed to be watered, and not the cucumber next to it any different. You know, everything is according to your cell phone. So you can have the perfect garden. Some people treat the church that way because we can do what we think it. I don't know if you think this, if you're recoiling in horror because you know what it is to garden and get real manure on your knees. I feel the same way about Kindle. There's a book and then there's a Kindle. We're standing here not realizing how much happens in your world that you can't touch. You can't really see. You can't really be in command. The temptation to be more in command of the kingdom of God than you, than you are. It works. You sow, you reap. The next parable says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Remember, he's telling these in part to throw a barrier in your way. Your heart is being tested by what you do with these parables. Hmm, what can we do with the kingdom of God? Let me think of something that will confuse you. It is like the grain of mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds of on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up, becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You see, I can figure that one out. That's pretty good. Start small, ends big, right? Start small, things turn out. It's a Disney film, right? <clears throat> The weakest kid, the karate kid, who, who doesn't, no one believes in him because he's just a, a, what do they play him as, a frog. He's a frog. Now it's not telling you that small things in big. It's not telling you that. It's small things that are designed to end big, end big. It's a mustard seed. Mustard bushes get big. That's what ends big. You just have to be ready with, though, what you're dealing with something in the first century. Small Christianity. Here's Jesus, Jewish carpenter, gets crucified. A few followers, they get killed. Some of them run away. They go off into the Roman world, get killed some more. Small churches, small responsiveness. What would you think? There'd be no history of Christianity for you to look back at. No great figures and names and books and rock stars of the Christian variety, which is, in quotes, rock stars. You didn't have any of that. You just had a small group of people in your town, maybe seven, and they're trying to kill you. What's your kingdom of God like? It is of necessity. It is of necessity going to be big. It becomes the greatest of all shrubs. Now, he gave us a total of four parables. There was the sower, which we didn't cover. We had 
the light in the bushel. We had the kingdom of God parables, the ones that, um, one's a, uh, we don't know how it grows, and the other is we know what it is like. With many such parables he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. But one of the reasons we get together as believers of Jesus Christ is because we know that the pursuit of our Lord is going to have many interesting questions in each generation, in each, each um, lifespan, and each philosophical uh, antagonism that exists against Christianity has to be looked at and examined by the believers and so we get together and you have Bible studies and you talk about things and you um, seek God. Now all of that in a rationalist church and that's what people would think of this as kind of it's a, a church that that breaks the, the scriptures apart in, into syntax and, and grammatical, historical application. If we just know the idea, we can make a conclusion. And you're right, I, I, I'm that way. Sometimes when we find a good thing, we forget what the good thing's about. And that's what had led me to this passage to begin with. We're not just seeking so that we can be sages sat on top of a mountain where people come and go, ah, and you get to say, ah, grasshopper, if only you knew the signs of the time. On that day, when evening had come, he had just walked through their lives with strangeness. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. A little more flux, I guess. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So, small fleet of people interested in Christ's teaching. Everybody gets into these boats, onto the sea. So it's not just Jesus in the boat with the twelve. It's a, a group, a flotilla of uh, Bible study attendees. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. You know what that's like. I can remember very vividly. I think my brother did this to me, my older brother. We were on a canoe trip in Upper Michigan, on the Osaba, paddling like young stalwart sons of the Algonquin. Um, his... No, I did it to him. I, I had, he didn't do it to me. I did it to him. So He was being, you know, his canoe against our canoe, and his canoe wasn't being nice, and they were splashing us with their paddles and so forth. And so they were trying to run us aground, and, and they pulled up next to us. So I just reached over and grabbed the gunnel, shoved it underwater. Amazing how fast a canoe will fill up. But all bets, when, when a boat fills up with water, it's not really a boat anymore. And that's what the disciples are thinking. It was already filling. The boat, the, the, the definition of a boat is this enclosed space without water in it, keeping the water out of it, and consequently it floats. When you fill it with water, I'm probably explaining too much. 
you know what this is like. Well, if you were in said boat, that would concern you. Have you ever pumped water out of a boat? Desperately trying to keep that ratio clear? But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I picked this passage. It's in Luke, it's in Matthew. You're going to read, but didn't mention the cushion in Luke. I said, that just added, you know, Jesus. Lying in the back on the comfy seats. <laughs> Much like the guy who's in the back of the church on the comfy seats. Asleep on the cushion. You sort of picture they didn't have cushions in the first century. But no, they did, in this boat. And the Lord's asleep on it. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? You shouldn't be sleeping. That's the same thing they did to Jonah. What are you doing sleeping? Get up and pray to your God. Do something. Make yourself useful, Jesus. Jesus, since he was sleeping, he might have had the same kind of reactions to You don't always think he's like Neo in the Matrix. That he, no matter what, he's always kind of alert. Is he? Or is he? Like, what? Over five minutes to figure out what's going on. Wonder why everybody's up in arms about him having a nap. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, two things, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Two things. He's talking to two elements. The wind, the water. Two elements were doing things. One was blowing and one was tossing. And the wind stopped and the sea went calm. You might want to be asking, who is this guy about now? Because you were thinking all sorts of normal responsiveness. I've got my worries. Why can't Jesus be showing some concern here? He gets up and does something entirely different than what, you know, help, help rowing. Encouragement. And sometimes people look at the church that way. They look at what we're doing as, well, this is kind of a, I hate the word community. I just hate it. You live in a community, you don't live in community. That's so gay to say you live in community. You live in a community. Moscow is a community. This is a community. But don't get me started. You say, aren't you about done yet? Well, I'm almost at the bottom of the page. We expect just everybody to you know, pull their own way, get together and do things together. Jesus, why can't you wake up? Shouldn't be sleeping here. Encourage us. Things are tough, so maybe if you sat up and said some encouraging things, vicar, lift the spirits of people, lead us in a few hymns, we're going down. He gets up and he talks to the elements of the physical universe. What that does to your view of the elements of the physical universe, that they listen to their God. When wind is spoken to, it goes, oh, I did not know what kind of boat I was shoving around. 
the God of heaven and earth, he who made heaven and earth, was standing in a boat, still a little groggy from having been woken up by, you know, desperate Jewish people. And he talks to the wind, and then he talks to the sea. And they obey him. And it's not like this is, this is the way the most informed human being in history functioned in the world. Normal things happened to him. He lived. He died. Normal things, he was tempted normally, just like everybody else. But he deals with his world differently because he knows what's going on in his world. This is the encouragement I found at the end of this. A lot of other things available in this passage. After these parables where he's telling you, you're going to get what you give. As you're going to get what you invest in knowing. You climb over that hurdle, you get at the things that are mysterious about God. And you re recognize that you are finding the mind of God. The mind of God which is like this. And you're finding this God. Not just, this is a way of walking through life. You ever see uh, Saturday Night Fever? It's a long time ago. Most of you are, were not born. John Travolta. The great scene is going to get paint. And that Bee Gees song is playing. I think it's the Bee Gees. And he's walking, low shot, looking at him. And the rhythm of the music and this Italian guy with his polyester slacks. It's really horrid, but he's walking like he knows he's walking. We have a world in which we, you know, you've had those moments where you're, everything's working for you. You look good. You're walking right. You're not tripping over your own feet. Jesus Christ and the world he has called us to know, the God we have found, walks through life that way and he wakes up out of a dead sleep and he's able to respond as the universe would have its God respond. Not that you can wake up and command the sea and the wind to stop. You're not God. But that's the God whose kingdom we seek. And he says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? He asks them, having given them a day of parables, if you sought him, if you sought God, if you sought the kingdom, you would know what was going on. What is your problem? Fear is not the right response. Hold it, our boat was sinking. Fear was not the right response to your boat sinking. Now you say, what if my boat was sinking? Should I be afraid? Well, maybe. Unless Jesus is asleep on the cushion in the back. Things were different than your boat sinking, but you start to say, but really was it? Is it? Do I understand my world? Do I understand what I'm being called to, to walk through this life like? Where you get to walk like John Travolta swinging a can of paint to what's the name of the song? Just staying alive? Staying alive. He reprimands them for something that you know you'd feel completely natural about. I would be afraid and I wouldn't have faith. 
I didn't even ask him for something. I just wanted him awake. So he'd know how big my problems were. Do you realize that Jesus Christ wakes up and he solves problems? You know he has answers for what you need to have answers for. They were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? They understood exactly what you're looking at. They went through it. This is the God of our kingdom. This is the kingdom that we seek or we don't. And remember, if you seek it, you start to walk away with faith, knowledge of who you found, knowledge of the world he made, and you get more than you bargained for, more than you earned. And if you stop or you don't ever seek, if you're playing whatever game it is to be kind of the cool you, whatever the cool you is, with your rules playing out for your life, uh, you'll just be dumber and dumber which was a great film, but a awful way to live a life where you think that Samsonite is somebody's name. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. The wealth of knowing that is before us, the finding of you and your kingdom, knowing that it is operating on top of what we are doing to make us greater and more knowledgeable and more capable to walk through this life confident in you but also Lord that it's working against us if we choose against you help us understand help us to desire to understand in your son's name Amen